Welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm so excited to have you join me in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs in the photography industry as we discuss photography, building a business, and still having a life through it all. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom post-production for the wedding and portrait photographer. And now, let's dive into conversation. All right, so we're sitting here for a meal with uh, Ashley and Mike Garrity. They were kind enough, gracious enough to let me come out and connect with them. Uh, Ashley is a client of Photographer's Edit. That's our original connection, but we're becoming good friends now, having good conversation over wine and good food. AshleyGarrityPhotography.com is a website. Uh, And Ashley, you're doing weddings, uh, portraits, boudoir kind of a combination of things and I think earlier you said you guys are shooting your studio shooting about 50 weddings is that correct yeah the studio uh, the studio (laughs) too much wine oh my god um the studio is shooting I think we're at 52 for the year so around 50 was our 50 was my goal we hit the goal and now we're just um icing the cake that's amazing so you've been in photography now for about five years is that correct yes that's a pretty quick jump from kind of nothing to 50 weddings in a year how did you make that happen Um, Well, I viewed my business growth as an investment. Um, I come from business, um, restaurant, and sort of business management sort of perspective. So I know that if you can make it first first three years in your industry, then you're in good shape. And I was always building from the beginning for the long term. So I made investments in education for myself, going to conferences that maybe I couldn't afford up front. I made investments in networking. I did advertise. I still do advertise. I think that's an important part of getting your name out there. Um, And so we have a big, expensive budget, and we're working to make sure that we're profitable every year, and we are. So So you just touched on probably five or (laughs) ten different things that we could dive into and and actually would be extremely valuable, I think, to a lot of photographers out there, really all of us in the photography industry, um, when it comes specifically to building and then running a business effectively. Now, you mentioned, let's let's dive into the management aspect of it first. You talked about, uh, earlier you were talking about being uh, working with Starbucks for quite a while in management. Is that right? Yes. Um, I quit my job um, <laughs> in June. It, it's been like uh, three years of saying I was going to quit my job and then finally pulling the trigger on that one. And um, I've never felt freer and probably maybe a little scared, but that's life. Um but I have been with Starbucks almost 10 years. I started, I call it the college job that just kept giving um, because I started in college. I was a theater major. I needed something with very flexible hours where I could work around late nights at the theater or when I was running the costume studio, long days. Um, and I moved up through the company and have been in management as a store manager for Starbucks for six-ish years. Um, running the flagship Rittenhouse Square store in Philadelphia um, and also spending about four years out in the little town of Westchester, Pennsylvania. Wow. Okay, so talk to me about how that then translates. What Your experience with Starbucks in management, how does that, what are the skills that you learned there and that you picked up, some of the business concepts that you were able to pick up, how does that translate to the photography business? Sure. Um, I mean, on paper, it's some of the obvious things are customer service, Um, I learned how to read profit and loss statements, business accounting, and just kind of understanding how to make sure that a business is profitable, looking at budgets, hiring and firing and training and working with people. 
um, building network in the community. When we first opened the Westchester store, it, it was kind of like small town, small business kind of atmosphere, and there was a lot of animosity towards the big company coming in. So we did have the, the problem the first year or two we were there of really kind of building a network and making people feel like we were invested in the community. Um, and then on like the day-to-day, that moment when you want to tell a client, bye, Felicia, <laughs> you can't do that in real life. So not, or sometimes you can, but you have to go through a lot of legal fees. So um, I learned how to just keep that smile plastered on and work under pressure and um, get through the day and... Um, my theater background, the show must go on. Ultimately, if I get a bride to her ceremony and she gets married, a wedding day is a success. Like, that is the goal. And I always try and tell people, like, this is, you know, all we need to do is get you married. And the day is just, like, the beginning of what's supposed to be coming. Um, and so my job is to keep morale up. <laughs> wow. Again, a lot a lot to, to uh, benefit uh, the photographers here. Now, when you're talking about running, essentially running a store or multiple stores... Um, when you were, what would you say, looking at the way that the photography industry tends to function, these individual businesses, sole proprietors in many cases, um, what would you say is missing from some of these photography businesses? When you look at the way that something like a store like Starbucks is run uh, in comparison, what would you say is missing most often from photography businesses? Where should I start? <laughs> um, I mean, from a basic standpoint, I think just knowing your numbers and knowing, like, how profitable or not profitable are you. If you're not profitable, why aren't you profitable? Um, where are you spending your money? Is it a loss or is it an investment? Um, I think, like, that's a very basic thing that not enough people are on top of. Um, if you want to look at the bigger picture thing and the one thing that I constantly have conversations with some of my other uh, business owner friends, creative entrepreneurs, is... I always try this always turns negative really fast but if you were in a car accident tomorrow what would happen to your clients for the rest of the year um, the one thing working at a big company we had procedures and standard operating procedures systems in place a pipeline of talent so that we could continue on when I quit my job um, there's still a store there um, and that's not something most individual solo entrepreneurs are really focused on um, but that's something that when I brought in a studio manager was a, a distinct reason why, so that someone else knows maybe not the passwords to everything, but where they can be found in the case of an emergency and what my processes are for post-production and how I run a wedding day and where to find the photographers I trust to run the day. So that's a big piece I think a lot of people don't even ever, the thought never passes their mind until a client asks about it. Well, it sounds like a lot of that is, is just the basics of running a business, but unfortunately, and I, I know I can speak from personal experience, when I first got into photography, I got into it because it seemed like a fun idea. You know, it was something, that, well, at the time it was different than the path that I was going down for a potential career. Uh, I liked the technology, I liked the idea of buying an expensive camera, <laughs> um, and, and ultimately I enjoyed the, I'll put quotation marks around it, but the art of, of taking a picture and the business side of things just wasn't a focus. Uh, I, would, I would say probably the advice that I'd give to any photographers getting started, if, if there was one piece of advice and something I didn't do early on was get QuickBooks and get an accountant, basically, <laughs> you know, um, actually proactively keep up with the numbers, kind of like you were talking about, um, so that there's a certain amount of awareness there. Uh, and unfortunately, that's just... Thank you. 
unfortunately, that's just not very commonplace uh, in this day and age. So that's, that's great advice and great feedback. Let's kind of jump backward to when you first got into photography. What was the experience that led to you shooting your first wedding? <laughs> um, so my first wedding, I always joke and tell people that I'm the accidental wedding photographer. Nothing in my life led up to me becoming a wedding photographer except for my first wedding. Um, I wrote a food blog where I was baking, I was taking like Martha Stewart recipes and making them vegan because at the time I was vegan. Um, and I'd take terrible cell phone photos of my things from my food blog. And I bought my first DSLR because it was like clearanced um, as Sony was discontinuing a camera and uh, I wanted to take better pictures for my food blog. So then I would take pictures outside and I would take them for my, my desserts, take pictures of my desserts and write my blog. And shortly after I got my camera, Mike's cousin got married in the Carolinas. It was a very small family-only thing, and I had my camera along just because I was learning the settings. I was literally just playing with the camera still. But she didn't hire a photographer um, at all, so I just became the photographer because my camera was bigger than everyone else's, is what I always tell people, and size matters. So I tried to remember back to our wedding, which was just about six months prior, and, and like the things that our photographer told us to do from opposing perspective. And um, I, I felt, you know, like kind of like a boss, man. I, I, here I am with my big camera. I'm going to be the, the wedding photographer. Yeah. They're listening to me when I tell them what to do. It, it felt good. Um, and I, took, I got like 50 pictures um, that I delivered. And they're awful, awfully edited. They're okay pictures. Um, but they're all she has. Um, and I was the only one there to capture the moment. So it was kind of an addiction from that point on. Like when you feel that someone has that much of an emotional pull to the pictures you can take, something that you can create. And from there, I just, I guess my next, my next wedding wasn't for another five months. I was shooting with someone. Oh, no, I wasn't shooting with someone else for the, my next wedding. I did a commitment ceremony in New Jersey. This was back before it was legal to have same-sex weddings. And there was a commitment ceremony I photographed in New Jersey. I think I, I think I charged a hundred dollars. It was like terrible. It's embarrassing, um, but all I had to do was photograph the ceremony and about an hour of like portraits with them and their family and things. And then they sat me down at the table like with their family. It was like a guest list of twenty, and I got to eat like the catered meal. And I was like, I became a guest at their wedding. It was really a cool experience, um, and that was when I decided like, I'm going to actually go through with it. Uh, I spent. I think I apprenticed or shadowed for two weddings with my own wedding photographer before I said, this is cocky, but like, if she can do it, I can do it. And uh, I just, you know, bit the bullet and decided to be a photographer. And that was how I became Ashley Garrity Photography. It was really not that thought out. Well, but I love the proactivity of just going for it, too. And, and that, that first wedding... Did, you, did she ask you to, to photograph it, or did you just say, hey, she doesn't have a photographer, I'm just going to take some pictures? I just did it because no one else was doing it, and I felt like it was blasphemy <laughs> to not have... I mean, that was like my... Aside from venue food, which just happened to add up, like that was our biggest expense. It just mattered to me, and so I, I knew she would regret it if no one else did it for her. And Mike is sitting over here nodding in agreement. <laughs> Um, Mike, what was described the scene to us as Ashley's stepping into the role of photographer for her first wedding? 
completely different person. Um, <laughs> certainly very aggressive and kind of ordering people around, but in everyone a in a good way. But everyone kind of fell in line and and did what they were told. And I mean, the pictures are their pictures. Now, so I was what they have. I was thinking. Your background and acting, studying acting and being on stage, do you think that stage presence had anything to do with how well you've done as a photographer and guiding groups, setting up poses and so forth? I think that my theater background is actually really invaluable to what I do. Um, I know from posing perspective, I like understand body language very well from having to study it. Um, so I can help guide people with that. Um, I, I've hung, you know, lights on a stage, so I understand a lot of the concepts of lighting, even without having studied them formally. Um, I have to put on a smile, and even when I want to, you know, strangle the bride once in a while, like I'm smiling at them and like telling everything's going to be okay. I've, I uh, actually ran the costume studio, and I have sewn multiple brides into their dresses after snafus with buttons and things like that. I always have a sewing kit on hand at a wedding day. Um, my, my theater background has been in, invaluable and I I always love seeing the, the wedding fear like oh I had a wedding nightmare blog post on Facebook or things like that because I don't understand that um, maybe it makes me stupid in a certain way but I don't have that performance anxiety going into a wedding day um, my stuff is charged I know that whatever comes my way no matter how horrendous it may feel in the moment like I just have to get through and the show must go on people are getting married that day like whether the power goes out at the venue whether the dress you know the bride trips and rips her dress and I have to sew it shut whether we had a wedding with no rain plan and on like a hurricane weekend and the ceremony started four hours late we had a wedding with the caterer showed up three hours late and the guests were all drunk before the food ever showed up and no one even cared by that point in time. In the beginning, I had some real adventures because I was, I was dealing with, you know, some really interesting couples who had these interesting backyard weddings. So, Well, but you're, the, the confidence that you exude, even as you're talking about it, I can imagine that translates to the wedding days and ultimately to the clients. I can only imagine how incredible an experience that creates for them. So that's, that's really impressive. So you, you started in wedding photography. Did, that, did you naturally transition into or add on portrait photography, photographing these clients who were getting married and then having families, or how did that, how did that play out? Um, babies terrify me. <laughs> like, there is nothing more terrifying that you could do to me. Like, I can, I can get through a wedding day. I can stand on a stage in front of 20,000 people and talk to them. But if you hand me a baby and tell me to change its diaper, like, you might find me crying in the corner. So... Um, I started to transition into having, offering family portraits and, and now newborns. I've done newborns a couple times and maternity. I think the first thing I actually did was maternity photography because I, I, I view it just like I would view any other portrait. It just happens to be with a pregnant woman. So my goal is to have a, a beautiful portrait that represents the person I'm photographing and, oh, they happen to be pregnant more than, like, tons of belly pictures. It's not really my scene. Um... But then maternity clients started to have the babies. That happens after a couple of months. <laughs> right. um, and so I, I have overcome some of my fear. And it's actually kind of entertaining. Because as I'm shooting it, I'm thinking, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm doing it. Um, boudoir was also a very intentional move. Um, I had a couple of clients who were looking for it um, prior to their wedding. I have a, st a studio space I share with a makeup artist. So we just kind of partnered up and started doing some boudoir shoots where hair and makeup were all included. 
Um, so that was intentional. And again, it's it's not about like making a person look sexy or making a person feel sexy. It's about acknowledging the woman in front of me who is sexy and making her comfortable so she photographs well. That's incredible. And then pretty powerful mission statement too. How many portrait sessions would you say you do in a month between the boudoir and, and the family and so forth? Um, because of, up until a few months ago I had a full-time job, I never really aggressively pursued it. Um, but I would, sh- I would shoot probably... 25 to 30 portrait sessions, depending on the type, a year. Um, and we'd love to see that growing in 2016, 2017 for the studio. Now, you have 50 weddings this year, and then shooting as many portrait sessions as you are on top of that, and then having a full-time job. How did you... Th- that's a lot to juggle, but it speaks very highly to your management skills as well. What would you recommend, or what would you say to the photographer who feels overwhelmed but wants to build their business? Uh, what's the best, I don't know, one or two pieces of advice that you can give to them when it comes to building and scaling their business? Um, time management is a, a phrase that everyone loves to throw around. Oh, you just need better time management. I time tracked and time journaled for almost a month straight, like to the minute. Like this is the time I wasted commuting. This is the time I spend watching TV. This is when I have my leisure. This is where I'm working. This is what I'm doing when I'm working. Um, and I, then from there, I just sort of learned techniques to consolidate or save time. So if I could answer emails on my iPad while riding the train into Philadelphia rather than driving, I started taking the train on my commute when I worked into the city. Um, if I wanted to see my friends and I have to eat because I'm alive... I should be seeing people over meals, um, and that kind of helps to consolidate time. Um, I, I kind of forced myself to turn, I would just binge TV in the background while I was editing, but then I was not editing things or, or working on emails and, and paperwork to the fullest. So I now, at the end, of, when I go to sit down at my computer and work, I have like two hours where I refuse to turn on the TV, um, and I do as much productive like in a sprint as I can, and then from that point on, if I have a few loose emails to email out, I can like do that while I'm watching Boardwalk Empire reruns and things like that. So just by like forcing myself to concentrate, um, deciding what was important to me, and, and really focusing on the task at hand when I was doing it. And I think that is a very relevant conversation for a lot of photographers, and actually even for myself too. I, I'm a stickler for minimalism and structure and ultimately maximizing my time but I could still do a way better job at times and and the fact that you actually took the time to took the time (laughs) to time journal uh, speaks again very highly to your very proactive efforts and and managing your business effectively there are a couple of books that came to mind as we're talking about this there's one called uh, the e-myth revisited that talks about building a scalable business so if you guys haven't read that book before um, make sure you check that out. There's another book that's called um, Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi. It speaks to the value of networking over meals, just like you were talking about. Um, so, again, if you guys haven't heard of or read those books before, make sure you at least take a look at them on Amazon, and uh, I think you'll benefit pretty significantly from both of them. All right, so we, we dove into photography and the photography business side of things for a bit. Um, you were actually, we were finishing up that conversation. You mentioned another book uh, about time management, speaking to your effort at time journaling. So the first book that I really read, and it, 
it seemed ridiculous to me at the time to spend a couple hours reading a book about saving time, but I did it. Um, was 168 Hours, You Have More Time Than You Think by Laura Vanderkam, who's ironically lives not far from us in home at, in Philly. Um, she doesn't, maybe she doesn't know I know that, but it's on her website. There we go. Um, and it really, you know, focused on the idea that like people who are saving the world, coming up with cures for cancer, you know, Steve Jobs and you all have the exact same amount of time in your week. It's just how you use it and how, um, how sharp you are with your time determines what you get done. And that was what really was the impetus for time tracking. Um, there was a lot of discussion about how people say, oh, it, the American thing to do is to inflate the amount of time we work. Oh, oh, I got like two hours of sleep last night and I worked 16 hours today. Um, and I thought, I wonder if I do that. So I actually got a Fitbit and I would wear my Fitbit to track my sleep. And I would, was tracking my time to track my work. I'm still working, thank you. Um, and I learned that in the month that I first started tracking, I did actually average five and a half hours of sleep a night for the month as the average, so I didn't sleep enough. Um, and I was working, I, the idea of work was happening a lot, but it wasn't always productive work time. So again, working with the TV on, working while trying to have a conversation, driving to and from work. Um, so that's when I started to really pare down. So that book sort of set me to the idea that I needed to track my time and really understand where I was wasting it. That's, wow. That's, and it's, it's convicting too. That you, you start to think about the fact that you've got what, well over 100 hours in a week that you're awake. Uh, that people are getting so much more done with that amount of time than, than you are, at least at times. It seems anyway. I mean, you, you speak to the jo Steve Jobs example. Um, there's a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk that I follow. Uh, he's written a number of marketing books. Um, and has a pretty popular YouTube channel as well, and he, and he speaks. And he loves the F word. Uh, yes, yeah, he <laughs> so has a colorful mouth language. for sure. <laughs> but he's, but he he really harps on this notion that people really aren't working hard enough. They're not maximizing their time, and I think there are two sides to this conversation about maximizing time. There is the work side, and and are we actually putting in the the, the amount of time uh, into, especially getting a business off the ground, but then uh, keeping it going and even building it that we should or that we could be, I guess is probably the better word, could. Uh, but then the flip side of that, too, is are we maximi maximizing the amount of free time uh, as entrepreneurs that we could potentially have? And the balance is going to look different for, differently for, for each and every person. Uh, the impression that I get is that a lot of business owners, particularly in the photography industry, I think largely because they aren't being smart about their use of time, then don't have very much free time left over. And so their business suffers because they're sp spending so much time on busy work, like editing. Uh, but they're also, and, and because uh, they don't have as much free time then left over, they don't, they're not able to actually spend time on the proactive efforts. So I always categorize something like post-production or accounting work or otherwise as, as reactive in nature. It has to be done to, to have a business. It doesn't actually help grow the business. It doesn't mean another client. Um, if they were able to outsource or delegate or at least make the systems more efficient around some of these reactive tasks, then they would have more time to focus on those things that would actually build their business. Uh, and not only build their business, but then ultimately to be able to spend time with their friends, with their family, etc. cetera. Uh, so anyway, I, I think it's really powerful that you put so much proactive energy into 
becoming aware, a lot of intelligence, I think in multiple areas of life, a lot of intelligence is self-awareness. You developed a certain level of self-awareness when it came to the way that you were managing time, and that's now translated to a business that has just exploded. And you've been able to do it without killing yourself, which is pretty incredible. Kind of a miracle when I look back on it. Yeah. Everyone always says, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. And part of me would say, well, I don't know how I do it either, because people don't really actually want to always hear how you do it. You know, I work hard, and I don't sleep a lot, and I don't get to do this or that. Um, but I think that hearing that story and knowing that I was working that hard for all the things that I have in my life now is, on, on the other hand, valuable knowledge. Like, I, it, nothing that I have, nothing that I've built was handed to me. I've worked and, and paid for it in my time for everything, and my money sometimes, for everything that we have. But now, I, I finally am starting to feel the, the payback of all that investment that I've made. I'm, I'm traveling. I, I've gotten to fly several places. I've been in Savannah, Atlanta, um, Charleston, Seattle several times in the past six months. Um, and these are all things I wasn't doing before. And it's fabulous. So you put the, the hard work in up front, and not just the actual manual labor, but the, the, um, the effort at developing some self-awareness with regards to how you were managing your time. And, and what that then is translated to down the road is a bit more freedom in your life to do things like travel uh, which kind of brings us to the conversation about relationships, kind of the third uh, point of conversation for this podcast. But uh, you guys are in a bit of a unique situation in that currently you're based in Philadelphia, and that's what you were referring to as home earlier. Home, yeah. yeah. And then Mike is based here in Seattle. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing here in Seattle, Mike. Yeah, so I'm out here for uh, residency, moved cross-country a little over a year ago, uh, left home and everyone behind uh, for this opportunity uh, for three years. And then the goal would be, obviously, to get back in town. So To home. To home, <laughs> Philadelphia. So how often do you guys get to see each other? Uh, I would say probably on average every six to eight weeks, I think, is a good, a good estimate. Now, we were having some conversation earlier about about kind of the dynamic of your relationship and how you make it work. And you were, you were saying that, that some people talk to you about the situation as though you're suffering from a disease or something. Uh, and and, and I, I, frankly, I love your perspective on, on the whole thing. Uh, you talked about how it's actually been a, a positive on multiple levels. Talk about that. Yeah, I think I, I made the... I guess it could be a rash statement that when I would say, you know, Mike is in Seattle, people would, would say to me, oh, my God, that must be so hard. Like I was fighting, I said cancer, or it's some other terrible affliction. Um, because that's the way people looked at me, almost like I was a bit of a pariah. Like, well, why aren't why aren't you moving? Um, but I have a very rich, full life in Philadelphia. Um, and the only thing I don't have in Philadelphia is a husband <laughs> right now. And quite frankly, there are lots of people in Philadelphia who are having rich, full lives without husbands, so they survive just fine. Um, and Mike and I, you know, we we FaceTime and we do travel back and forth whenever our, our schedules allow, so we still maintain our connection, but not having to answer to someone else who depends on me has been invaluable in the fact that I can set the schedule I need to to get things done. I um, don't have to answer to someone else who I'm responsible for, except for my dogs and that is what it is. Um, I don't have to, I don't want to say ask permission, but I don't need to sort of acknowledge where I'm going to be or when I'm coming home and things like that. And so it's really allowed me to, if I, if I need to take a last minute appointment and I don't have something else going on, I take it. If I want to go out and spend an evening with friends, 
I, I do. Um, I can work long hours, this and that. I live by doggy daycare. Like, it is the one thing that makes my life possible. Um, but we both have been able to go our two separate ways to really focus on the things that we need to build so that in the long term we have great success together. I, I think your your approach, your mentality, your perspective on on this topic of how you're managing your relationship, your marriage. Uh, you guys have been married for six years, is that right? Mm-hmm. I'm getting nods, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing some calculations? Six-ish, yeah. six-ish. Almost, six. almost six, okay. But this very pragmatic approach to your marriage, especially in this what is a bit of a unique situation, uh, I think is refreshing. Um, I wrote a, I, I didn't, I didn't wrote, I, I read a book. Um, it's been probably two or three years ago by a lady named Esther Perel. It's a book called Mating in Captivity. And she has a, have you heard of this book before? No? Okay. She has, she did a TED Talk on it as well. And if you guys uh, just go to YouTube, you can search Esther Perel or Mating in Captivity and her TED Talk will pop up. It's only about 15 minutes. Kind of give you a good uh, summation of what her book is about. But the book, very simply, uh, the, the premise is how to maintain passion in a long-term relationship. And one of the, the ideas or concepts that she was really continuing to focus on throughout the book was this idea of independence. Uh, the, the traditional marriage or committed partnership of some type uh, these days in, in the U.S. still centers largely around a, a life that is very much in your face, right? You're constantly in that person's space, especially for people who are in business together, uh, you're, you're constantly in each other's space. You're, you're always you're probably many times talking about the same thing, focused on the same thing, and there's very little opportunity to exercise independence as, as an adult, as an individual. Uh, and you're in kind of a unique situation in that uh, you have that, that freedom and that opportunity. And I wonder, do you find that that has made a difference in the way that you guys see each other, uh, the dynamic of your relationship? How, how has that played out? We're both incredibly competitive people, and I think that I think, I'm, and I'm a big fan, fan of Rising Tide. I'm a co-leader in Philadelphia, and I am all about community over competition. But I also think that c- competition is really healthy sometimes. But I don't think that competition in a marriage is healthy at all. So I think that the fact that I am business-minded and I'm in business, and he used to be in finance, so we have that in common. But I am in a creative business, and I'm a creative entrepreneur, and he is in medicine, which is science, and like we're never competing. <laughs> In, in the sense of like direct competition, I think that that independence is critical because if I were a doctor and he were a doctor and we were in the same field, like we would spend our lives trying to be the best in our field and we could never both be. But by being in com- two completely different worlds, we can both be the best that we can be in our fields together. Um, one of my favorite, I see a lot of wedding band inscriptions. I'm a wedding photographer. One of my favorite ones was just the inside. It was independent together. And both rings were just plain bands, and they said independent together. Um, and I think that that's the phrase that really sums us up pretty perfectly. We're both you know, strong personalities. I'm a louder strong personality than Mike is. He's a quiet strong personality. Um, but that we're independent. We're very independent of each other, but we prefer to be sharing the journey. I think that's beautiful. It's, it's such a simple notion, but it's extremely powerful, too. It's this idea of respecting the other individual's or the other person's individuality. Uh, and I think that's really powerful. And, and I can only imagine how that has 
uh, been really incredible for your relationship, especially being in this situation too. Uh, would you say, what would you say is, is, I don't know, the most poignant lesson that you've learned as far as re- your relationship goes through this process of being apart from each other? I hate mowing the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> you hate mowing the lawn? <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm very, Mike, feel free to speak up too. I'm very blessed. My father-in-law actually comes over and mows my lawn most of the time, but he travels. So every once in a while I have to mow the lawn. Um, and the first time I had to mow the lawn after Mike left, um, it was about 95 degrees. It was just like today is supposedly in Philadelphia. It was incredibly hot, incredibly humid. And I just like could feel the sweat dripping down my back as I cursed my husband while pushing this lawnmower. <laughs> and I thought, this is all your fault. And then, but I did it. And I actually, I think that that is actually probably the most poignant lesson is like, I hate mowing the lawn, but I can do it. And I did it and it didn't hurt me and I didn't die from mowing the lawn. Um, and I can do all the, <laughs> we, we had a washing machine explosion in my basement and I walked downstairs two hours before a wedding to find a, an inch of water flooding my basement and all my wedding clothing in that load of laundry that was about to be dried. <laughs> And I walked upstairs and I cried for a minute and then I called my second shooter and she brought me a dress and I got the shot back out and I FaceTimed Mike and he talked me through how to like suck up all the water and I spent my last two hours of freedom cleaning water off my basement floor. Um, but I did it. Like all these things that I guess most people in relationships will say like, oh, the other person's going to do this mm. or like I don't have to do this part of life because someone else will do it for me. Um, I, I know and I, that I have to do it all and that I can do it all um, and that just makes the things that we do together better that's a beautiful way to I think end this conversation and podcast episode and I, I need to let Ashley get back to her meal and actually finish it up uh, but I want to thank you guys both for again being so gracious and allowing me to come up last minute and connect with you especially with the limited time that you have together uh, to chat a little bit about photography but about life too Guys, if you haven't checked out Ashley's website, it's ashleygarityphotography.com. Yes, and shortly to be ashleygarity.com as well will be a secondary surprise. A secondary <laughs> surprise. Do we get any hints? Um, just uh, through a lot of my work with Rising Tide and everything and, and my business background, I've, I've started taking on some small business consulting and, and um, business mentorship. Yeah, so it's been a really exciting to kind of start to work with people who are maybe newer in their business or need a fresh set of eyes and, and just help them to fall in love with spreadsheets the way I have. I love it. <laughs> and should, should we look for this site going live in a particular time frame? September 1st. September 1st, okay. Was my goal. Okay. But I always like to exceed my goals, so hopefully mid-August. Awesome. Okay, so AshleyGarityPhotography.com and AshleyGarity.com for the consulting website. Perfect. That is really great. Thank you guys again. And uh, if you guys have any questions you, for, for Ashley, feel free to, to comment. Uh, and we'll look forward to sharing this episode with you soon. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca Podcast. If you'd like to hear a particular photographer or entrepreneur in a future episode, don't hesitate to email me, nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom post-production for the wedding and portrait photographer.